and welcome to season six of Interdisciplinary, Heal Wells podcast about people who take care of people, all the things that lift us up, and saying the things that we're thinking out loud and saying the quiet things out loud. I am joined here today by uh, my Heal Well colleagues, Carrie Jordan and Corey Rivera, and possibly a pun as we start every show. We know this is why you're here. So here it is, this week's pun. Come for the puns, stay for the content. Uh, A weasel walks into a bar. The bartender says, wow, I've never served a weasel before. What can I get you? Pop goes the weasel. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very regional pun. Uh, yeah, right. That's because I it was like, is. pop, pop. Yeah. What's that? yeah, it's super regional because, you know, you know, in many parts of the South, it's all Coke. What kind of Coke you want, Sprite? <laughs> yeah. <Pepsi>? yeah. <laughs> Where I grew up in New Jersey, it's it's soda. Yeah. Like pop is not a thing. So where I grew yeah. up, it's pop and I say soda anyway. <laughs> oh, you're a wild rebel. I'm a wild rebel. <laughs> Crazy Midwestern. Next week, we take on the question of shots, sprinkles, or jimmies. <laughs> I've heard that. There are hundreds and thousands if you're British. All right. <laughs> oh, wow. International. International. Yeah. Look at us. I know, right? Um, so this week, we are gathered here to actually talk a, a little bit of a continuation of last week's discussion when we were talking about massages, healthcare, and um, to continue kind of diving deeper into that and what that means for people out in the world who are practicing massage, but also other caring professions. And we wanted to talk today about resources, um, where you need them, how you know if you have them, um, how to find them, you know, do you need a resource sniffing dog, all of that <laughs> here today. Um, so I am curious for, for both of you, what does it mean to you to be resourced in your in whatever work you have to do? I consider it um, meaning that you have enough of whatever the things are to get the job done, whether that's people or objects or time or manpower or brain power. Whatever it is, you have enough to do the thing properly. I would add with joy to that. Because I definitely, well, I mean, because I feel like I've definitely been through phases in my life where I I could get it done and I was getting stuff done, but, um, you know, just barely (laughs) Mm -hmm. or or just hating it as I got it done. And that Mm -hmm. feels really different to me, um, particularly when we're talking about the business of caring for other humans. Yeah, that that is interesting with with joy because that feels um, exponentially harder. Indeed, because um, I'm just sitting here thinking, well, what does it mean to me to be resourced? And I don't know if I would go as far as joy. I think I would stop at like contentment mm-hmm. or just like you know, baseline level. <laughs> I, I would stop at getting the job done at all at this point. At all. <laughs> No, it's it's interesting because I think this also has to do with like outside of whatever you're doing for a job or whatever caring work you're doing, just the the business of being human, um, like how 
easy is that for you or how difficult is that for you? And I wonder if that affects um, how you are resourced and your ability to be resourced and how you define being resourced. You know, it makes me um, think about uh, a shameless plug for uh, some of the classes that Hillel is offering uh, in partnership with uh, Jen Brandle, who was a, a guest on the last season of the podcast. Um, and she talked in one of her uh, lectures about um, how basically COVID had changed the therapeutic relationship for talk therapists. And one of the sort of weird positives, unexpected positives is that because the stressors of COVID, like having your family all in your house and having to work from home and having your kid doing virtual schooling, um, it, it made it harder to be kind of available all the time in the way that patients and clients might have been used to previously. And, and Jen was sort of talking about how in a way this is a good thing. And I don't ever want to go back to the way that I was sort of always available and always open in many ways. Um, and that it sort of forced some, you know, I'll, I'll use the, the, <laughs> the dirty word of boundaries, right. But it, it forced some boundary, um, just because, because of actually having no bandwidth for, for more. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think Corey, when you're talking about like just getting the job done, like there are some places in which maybe those limits sort of help us really hone and crystallize what, what resources do we need and what, what is extra, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd like to add that, um, Jen, when Jen talks about those boundaries and setting them up, she also talks about, um, alternatives mm -hmm. to being available all the time. And like, she's come up with some great ones and you should totally take the class because they're brilliant. Right. Um, <laughs> but she, she sets her clients up so that they have steps before they need her mm -hmm. in an emergency or before they need an emergency mm -hmm. um, or to go to an emergency location. They have things that they can do previous. And that wasn't something she did before. It was absolutely necessary. And now it's absolutely necessary. Well, and I think we see this all the time with massage therapy, like quote unquote homework that, that we give to patients and clients. And, you know, how, how much do we how much do we, first of all, actually expect them to do it? Uh, and second of all, how, how much time do we actually take to set them up for success in doing those things? Um, because again, I think there's this way that we just sort of, you know, I, I know how to do this stretch. I sort of describe it to you briefly in my office as you're walking out the door after we've already scheduled your next appointment, right? And like as an, oh, and, um, or I think the other side of it is we give people too many things to do right? Try this, try that in the morning, do this in the afternoon, do that, you know, call me and tell me how it worked. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're just never going to do it. <laughs> and, so, yeah. and so how are, uh, we're not actually taking work off of our own plates. We're not actually empowering our clients or patients in that way. Um, and so how do we find that balance of being a resource? Like that mm -hmm. part of how I am resourced is that I give other people resources that they can use so they don't need to get so much from me. Yeah, I, there's there's something in that, Carrie, that, that kind of like rings the bell in my head about one of the ways that healthcare is broken, mm. um, which um, is the, 
the idea that I hope is a dying idea that, um, you know, your, your, your body is too difficult for you to possibly understand it. And you must turn it over to the experts yeah, um, yeah. To, to work with and tell you how it works. And this is, um, despite, you know, it, any um, of our fellow massage therapists who m are resistant to, to being rolled up into healthcare, this is an attitude that I see a lot more, uh, a lot <laughs> among colleagues and, and not consciously, like not at all consciously. I think many people would be rightfully appalled by that. Um, but it's, it's, it's like we have this fundament thing that is fundamentally ourselves which is our, our bodies right mm -hmm. it, it's um and somehow we've decided that we are not capable of the care of it um and I, I feel like part of our job part of our job as massage therapists um as people who care for people as healthcare providers is to give that back in whatever way we can and i think the the urge to we don't prescribe but i don't have a better word right now to prescribe homework you know or stretches or um whatever it is that we suggest to clients on their way out the door um is a little bit counterproductive um i i don't know that i have a better alternative but it, at least for me i don't do it anymore mm -hmm. um partly because I don't, I don't know any stretches. I don't know. I run and don't stretch. <laughs> don't ask me. Um, <laughs> um, but, but also because first of all, nobody ever does. It. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's okay. Like I, I don't want people to walk away thinking that they're not doing something that they're supposed to do and feeling guilty about it. Like that's mm -hmm. absolutely counter to everything that I do mm -hmm. um, in my work. Um, and I think it's, it's like you, you, you say a lot, Carrie, like the, just the chance to be, to give someone an hour of being sweet to, to them and their body, um, to maybe provide the space for them to come back into their body so that they can leave. And then they know because they live there what to do like that's that feels more valuable to me than being like well let me show you happy baby or whatever that's that was the one i showed everybody <laughs> happy baby i don't know <laughs> happy baby and put some dirt on it right <laughs> yeah. well and i think and i'll jump in since cal kate's just showing up out of nowhere welcome not? welcome cal kate's i was taking care of myself getting some lunch ready good um I think the other thing we do when we're teaching our clients, quote, air quotes, teaching our clients, things like that, is we sort of like, we do it halfway, they watch us and they go, sweet, see you later. And like, if you took three minutes to actually do happy baby with your client or show them how to do it, so they feel it, I'm not saying that means they're going to do it, but it goes in, I think, more than, and they can go, oh, that does feel good. Like, why would I not do that? But and maybe you guys touched on this, but it reminds me also of when we had um, Ann Kellerman on talking about how we need to stop using the word non-compliant and that mm -hmm. you know, when people don't do the things we suggest they do, there's probably all kinds of reasons other than them just being obstinate. <laughs> well, right. And we don't, I don't, the other thing about that 
I, I have an objection to, to offering homework is that I haven't generally had the time with a client, especially if they're new, to really understand what their life is like. You know, and, and if I'm telling you happy baby and you happen to like, I don't, I don't know, be in a situation where that's not possible or you have like ridiculous hard floors and no mats and it hurts and um, yeah, so I, I think it's kind of presumptuous. Well, but I, I feel like this is a, so, so how do we offer resources to clients so that it isn't all on us? Because it does make my job easier if you go home and you stretch your psoas between now and the next time I see you, right? Um, it does make you need me less. And maybe this is the problem, right? Maybe it's also that sense of scarcity and of not being the hero, right? That I want you to keep needing me. <laughs> um, but I think for other healthcare providers too, I mean, how do we, how do we give patients and clients tools to take the responsibility to some extent off of ourselves and to make it a more, because I think for me, again, when I have felt resourced in my work and when I have felt that joy that I'm, that I was talking about earlier, it's because it's more of a partnership mm -hmm. rather than me working to doing to the, the patient and the client. And so how, wh what do we do then? Well, I, I don't know if this is it approaching your question or completely ignoring it um <laughs> and you'll tell me um but my, my first thought about that is that the way that that we provide our our clients with resources is we show up fully resourced right so i was on this call um a, about a week or so ago it was a an education session for people um people over 60 who are caregiving for someone, for a loved one in their family. And, um, you know, I was talking about just massage and what, how massage can be beneficial, blah, blah, blah. Um, caregiving specifically for people with dementia. And someone asked the question, I, I, I get it. I think massage is great. I think all of these things are great. Um, but how do I get an 80 year old black woman with dementia who is, you know, not really sure about this to accept receiving a massage. And what I said, and again, this might've been a cop-out, but it, it, I think this is true. What I said to that is um, the way that you get her to benefit from massage is that you yourself benefit from massage. You get that resource, you build that strength and resilience, and then you show up for her more. Um, you know, and, and truer and more able to handle whatever it is that she's going through. Because, you know, dog knows you know, dementia is not a picnic um, of any kind. Um, well, and I think what, what you're saying, Rebecca, because I, I think people go, well, that's not going to work. She's not going to get on the table. You're not saying she'll get on the table. Right. You're saying I will have the capacity to show up to that she'll sit in her dining room chair and we can talk about massage or she can talk about whatever she wants to. And then the next time I come back, we might talk again. And that I, I may not show up this one time and she goes, great, let's do massage. Right. Um, but that you become less invested in your like, all right, I got 30 minutes. I got to get in and out. Let's do this. And yeah. 
you have the spaciousness to allow what's happening. Right. Well, and, and the only reason, and part of, part of the, that is true. And the other part of the point is that the only reason that I have the spaciousness to allow what's happened is that I have taken the time to take care of myself, to resource myself. Um, and that I think is what is sometimes missing um, in ways that are really um, can come out and be really ugly um, and mildly dangerous. It's interesting. I feel like the recurring theme here is is one of the recurring themes of the healthcare brokenness in general. And I also, I think this is something that shows up in massage therapy as well, which is the lack of time. Um, I mean, a bunch of, uh, we've had several examples just in this conversation of places where, like you said, Rebecca, I don't have the time to have this kind of conversation with this client. Um, you know, and, and depending on the environment in which you work, you know, maybe no matter how resourced and zen I show up without agenda, the people I work for, the caregiver who is paying for this session where I just sat next to Nana and talked to her for a little while and then left, maybe doesn't feel like they got their money's worth, right? And and if I work for a larger institution, I have to chart that I did something during this session, that I accomplished goals. I have to have these soap notes, right? People who are in nursing, people who are, who are in other healthcare fields, you know, it, it's all well and good to, to think about and say, we need to show up in this way without agenda and without whatever, but we don't always get to set that agenda. No, because capitalism sets the agenda. I mean, not to be the skunk at the skunk party, but where does this pressure come from that spending time with you doesn't have the same kind of value as me giving you some tangible thing? You know, if I give you instructions, if I, you know, send you home with some tiger bomb, you have a thing. But if, but if, quote, all I did was show up to you fully, that's not enough in, in the capitalist idea of what I just, quote, sold you. Well, I'm not so frustrating though, because if, if we're talking about like practitioners themselves being able to do this day after day after day, that I think that's what grinds people down. Like that have, have to produce and I have to produce and I have to produce. And you know, we're talking about human beings here. That's if, if what I produce is an hour in which you were not, um, you know, existentially dreadful about whatever is going on in your life. That's some valuable shit, but but not in the market. Right. Just like that. Yeah. Oh, so we've solved it. Ta-da. <laughs> Ta-da. Take care of yourself. You're um, welcome. Smash the patriarchy and capitalism and we'll yeah, all be fine. Just that's it. Just just completely dismantle um all of it. More naps, more presence. Boom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, I'm curious about, because, you know, I think Corey and I both work kind of in the community um, when we do massage and, and you all have more experience working in a clinical set, like in an actual hospital. Um, Oh yeah. I'm I'm curious about, you know, uh, there's a certain amount of training and knowledge and um, preparation that is required to be in a more clinical setting 
um, that is, I think, part of being resourced um, mm -hmm. and part of, part of being resourced as a healthcare provider, which is what we're, we're advocating for massage therapists to be. Um, and I, want, I wonder if you could like speak to that a little bit and how that shows up and what, um, this is not meant to be an advertisement for Healwell's classes, but feel free to speak about them if you like. It's our but, podcast, people. <laughs> <laughs> but it, and also specifically, if you have noticed um, what kind of difference you have noticed in people who are resourced specifically in that way, in that way of having education versus kind of finding, finding their way. Well, first, I want to say that this is another place where capitalism messes it all up because there is no, the return on investment for the amount of training and the amount of money you have to spend to get that training for massage therapists is, you know, monetarily zero, right? You, you're probably going to make less in a hospital setting with, you know, where, where you really do need more, I would say, or different education. Um, that you didn't get in foundational massage school. Um, but you're not going to make more money that way. Um, and so just I just want to throw that caveat out there that that's a, it's a, already a slippery slope as far as I'm concerned. Well, and I will say that the other side of that coin, well, I completely agree with Carrie, is that people who, at least at this point, you don't just find yourself in a hospital-based massage job. We're still in a place where people go there because they want to. And so if you have pursued that training, if you have spent that time and those hours and that money, it's because you're being resourced in another way, right? That work feeds you. And you know, it's not like you wind up in an office job and you're like, shit, 20 years later, I still work in this office. Like you have to make a job in a hospital or you have to you know, it's not the same kind of thing. So I do think that there are lots of ways that we can, I'm really struggling with us using resourced. I know that that's how people use it. And I, I hate that it's become like an, a verb of some kind, <laughs> but um, for you to have what you need, it depends what you need. And so like, you know, we talk a lot about how and this again, of course, comes around to capitalism. So what's your story about what you need? If what you need is a certain square foot house and a certain number of cars or a certain zip code that you live in, that makes it harder maybe for you to do that kind of work. Um, and you feel like you are trading sort of spiritual resourcing for financial resourcing um, because you have to pick. Um, and I, I don't know that there are, you know, I mean, I think there are some people in other healthcare disciplines who don't have to make that choice because the pay is better. But I do think that there is just a, a spreading thin of healthcare providers. And I think one of the things that is challenging in that setting is the widespread belief of scarcity of time. Yeah, and that, absolutely. you know, we talk all the time about how it doesn't actually take more time to be compassionate. It doesn't take more time to show up to a person, but it does take resources. It does take the bandwidth and the ability. If, you're, if you can't show up to yourself, you can't go and see six different patients in an hour and be expected to reasonably show up to them. Um, and when you see the other providers on your team also kind of 
walking around like frayed nerves and sort of feeling like, oh, I have this giant clipboard full of patients that I'm never going to get to see. And you know, and you see those patient interactions and you go, oh, like I know that provider doesn't feel good about that interaction, but they have to see this many people in this much time. And they just, they're thinking about their kids. They're thinking, they're doing what we all do, right? right? And so I think that, yeah, again, coming back to payers and systems and how we fund care, it, it the way we behave and the way we do or don't take care of ourselves is dictated by the systems that pay our paychecks. Well, and, and again, healthcare is a great example of a, a system where you are rewarded for not taking care of yourself. There's a, a point of pride of how many hours, right? And, or, and not even a point of pride, it is standard for nurses to work 12 hour shifts. End of story. That is just what's normal, right? Um, it is still, even though there've been lots of advances in sort of what you can and can't do to interns and residents <laughs> um, who are about to become doctors, right? They still are way overworked. And that there's a like a badge that goes along with that, right? That, there, that there's some sort of like, you get rewarded. You, the, the system rewards you, you are better. And we see it in massage therapy too. Like the, the therapists who, who tout like doing 60 massages a week or blah, blah, blah. Right. That it's somehow a badge of honor that you work yourself to a fuzzy little nub. And I don't know how we get out of that. Um, and that is a place where I think, you know, for, for massage therapists who are worried about becoming part of mainstream medical care, you're right. That is a thing that we have to worry about the way that our time gets dictated and, and the way that we uh, get rewarded uh, both financially and just kind of ego wise for just numbers versus, you know, quantity, not quality. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious, Corey, about your take on that because you've, um, had uh, to find a balance with what's <laughs> possible and reasonable and feels good. And, oh, okay. Well. I don't know if balance is the word I would use. Um, <laughs> I would say that the scales continue to tip and I continue to figure out what makes them level. Um, so uh, about a week ago, I dislocated my shoulder um, while I was doing the thing I was supposed to do, which is go to PT, not the PT's fault at all. Um, it wasn't even touching me like it just happens um and I had to come to grips with the fact that that's a thing that could have happened in a treatment room um because it took so little to make it happen so as far as resources go like my the thing that I watch and I watch it in my business partner as well who can work about 20 massages a week um is like what what is required so so there's a there's a game that goes on right um, and the game is, what does this client require of me? And if they're a new person, you have no idea. But with people that you know, you have a pretty good idea of what it's going to take to be around them for an hour, um, possibly them and their spouse, depending on what's going on. So how much of my resources does this person take? What does that mean for the people after them? Do I need to schedule them at the end of my day? Is that a requirement? Um, do I need to only offer them appointments at the end of the day? Is that how we're going to handle this. Um, what else is happening in my life? Um, I don't have any kids, but my business partner does and wow, kids, resource management, insanity. Um, and then 
for me, like emotionally, how many, so physically, how many people can I handle, which is about three maximum. And with the shoulder thing now, I don't even know what that number is and how many people can I handle emotionally. And that depends on what time of year it is. <laughs> um, daylight savings time is on Sunday and I don't work daylight savings time because it messes with my brain really, really, really badly. So I just stopped working on it because it, it wasn't a good um, experience for the people on my table. And that's my responsibility. And while they'll probably say, oh, but I need that massage so bad, it's totally okay if you're a little bit weird. Like, is that okay when that's my job and they're paying me for it or a hospital's paying me for it? Whoever's paying, it doesn't matter. Like somebody's forking over dough for it. And so for me to tell you that that session is $80, whether or not I'm slightly crazy, <laughs> like morally is not okay. So for me, whose body is starting to fail at doing massage and whose brain kind of fails to do massage, is that something I can charge for? And I'm at the extreme end of the spectrum for this, but if you're a normal massage therapist with a relatively average job and a relatively average amount of problems, I'm not sure what that is, but <laughs> a relatively average amount, like what is it that makes you not give that product? Like, is it doing 20 massages a week? Do you work at a um, franchise of some kind that doesn't give you enough time between appointments and you run on a steam at four and you've got six every day? Like, what about those last two? Our job is very different. We're not nurses. We don't spend 15 minutes with people. We're not doctors. We don't spend 15 minutes with people. We spend an hour. And while the quality of care of that 15 minutes does need to be, you know, at the level it needs to be, 60 minutes is four times more. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot more resources and a lot more choices, and a lot more decisions to make. And I don't think we talk about how people make those decisions. And like you said earlier, I, we do talk about, well, I can do 20 massages and I just bust through them and it's okay. And I just, I got my good shoes on today and it's going to be fine and yeah. we'll make it, you know, it'll, it'll just, and then I'll get to the end of the day and I can have my soup or whatever um, <laughs> that I'm saving in the fridge. Like that's a conversation I've had with people. Yeah. Um, is that like, and that's, that's super into the medical profession, right? Like that's us becoming the medical profession mm -hmm. with capital letters and a dun, dun, dun. After the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's everything we don't want to be. Um, yeah, but we're doing it, right? But we're doing it. Yeah. We're, we're getting there. Yeah. Whether we like it or not. Yeah. How do you, well, we're like, getting well, how all do you make and none of the good. Right, <laughs> right, good. right, yeah. right. What is the yeah. good? So I guess the money would be the good. And no, we're not well, getting that. Even yeah. a little and, bit of respect. And that legitimacy, the yeah. respect. But that's yeah. legitimacy, we're not getting that. No, yeah. no, no. no just, just the overwork and the leftover soup. Yeah, oh. nothing is all the way. <laughs> the saddest reward ever. So bad. Not even well, a sandwich. That's like, well, I and mean, I, at least I, if it was a sandwich. Well, and I look forward mm -hmm. to the hate mail after I say, <laughs> women do this to themselves, right? Like this is not, men aren't doing this. I mean, there are some men in the massage profession, but I remember years ago, we had a, a person who has a lot of experience in nonprofits and finance sort of look at how Heal Well was structured. And the first thing she said to us was, no man would let himself be paid like this. Yep. And Heal Well was founded by females and is currently staffed primarily by females. And she said, you know, I don't, I don't mean to offend you, but there is no man who would do what you're doing for this amount of money. And I do think that it's not, 
women are, this is what we do. We go, this has to be done. We'll do it. We'll accept this pay. We'll, you know, I'm helping people. So it's okay that my reward is two day old soup because right. Like whatever story follows that statement, we're okay with this being the structure. Well, no, we're not okay with it. I, I wouldn't say that we're okay with it. I think what we are is used to it. I would say resigned. Um, yeah, resigned. Because I, yeah. I, well, I, mean, I think with, I with mean, a tinge of martyrdom. Let's be clear. Sure. For some people, okay. I, I think. I think. Um, I think you're right, Cal. I agree with you, and I think that it is. We um, should not discount the. Um, expectation that has led to this and the the sort of like well capitalism <laughs> patriarchy oh that yeah has built this system definitely that, it didn't happen in a vacuum yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. um yeah and, and well and that reminds me too of you know that if we're talking specifically about massage therapy i wonder if this is true in nursing but specifically about massage therapy a profession where like 80% or something of the mm -hmm. practitioners are female, but all of the big names are male, like, or, mm -hmm. or at least male appearing. Yeah. Um, like, what's that about? <laughs> yeah. If, all if you have an answer, write to us, please. Yes. Yeah, daddy seriously. issues. We'd love to And we get a lot of pushback when we say, like, this is a pathology. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. that this has emerged, it, it is a problem in the female psyche that we could address. You're right. It's not accurate to say we're okay with it, but we're not un-okay with it enough to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Like there are small pockets of us who are like, this sucks, but like, how do we, how do we break this? How do we really like begin? And there's been, I, I have seen some new ripples in the massage profession in particular, where um, female instructors will be asked to speak and they'll see that the slate is all men and them. And they'll say, no, thanks. When you get some other women on the slate, call me back. And, and I think that that kind of advocacy is starting to catch on and, and massage therapy and massage therapists are starting to see that like there's a real imbalance here and we need to address this. And it's different for every person what, what motivates it. I mean, I think this is the thing, right? It pushes it. Well, if quote daddy issues or like needing someone to be the boss of you isn't your particular issue, go, that's not it. Well, okay, so that's not it for you. But there are people who are drawn to the healing professions, as they're often called, many of us, most of us, I feel comfortable saying, because of our own wounds and the level of experience and intimacy with those wounds directly relates to our ability to go, wait a minute, this is out of balance. And if, like you said, Rebecca, it's how it's always been for us, it feels accurate and appropriate. And we go, this is what I do. And it's great. It's only when you kind of pull back and you go, oh, like we just watched the documentary Crip Camp. And I have been just like over and over in my mind thinking about white supremacy and oppression in different ways and how keeping the different folks away from each other is how you keep them down. Right. And that it wasn't until all of these people with disabilities hung out together and were like, wait a minute we kick ass. Yeah. Like, why is the world not showing up for us? And then advocacy began. But I feel like it, it hasn't really been okay to say, well, yes, so-and-so is a great teacher, but like, can we get some women up in here? And that there are some female teachers who are excellent, lots and lots of them, probably proportionally more than male instructors. 
marketers, but they're quote, not as good at marketing themselves. And so we just chalk it up to that and go about our business. And we, you know, send our money off to John Barnes or whoever it is that we're going to work with. And I think that we have to gather more and be like, wait a minute, why is it like this? We let this happen. Let's mm-hmm. stop letting this happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I, I hear that too. That there's a responsibility on the side of like the, the consumer for lack of a better word as well to be like, if I, I want to learn X, there's a lot of people who teach X and, mm-hmm. and maybe I should find the person who is an excellent teacher and is not a white man or whatever, you know, <laughs> speaking of resources though, how do you find them? Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's an excellent question. Cause that's, that's a question. Actually, we have the, the starting to get better together, the group, the mentorship group for newer therapists. And this is consistently every time question, where do I find continuing education? Anything. Yeah. Anything. Mm-hmm. And, and how do I tell if it's good? And it, it, it's, I feel like I do a lot of um, gentle nudging to try to get people to stop thinking about what is going to make me more money and start thinking about what is going to bring me joy and fulfillment as a practitioner when they're choosing classes. That, that's a whole other conversation. But, but yeah, that, how do you know? Right. I think it's, I think it's kind of the same conversation because if you make more money, then you can take the joy classes, but until you take, (laughs) until you make that money, then maybe you don't have financial or emotional or whatever resources to do that. And if I open massage and body work magazine and there's a full page glossy ad for, sorry, we're just going to pick on John Barnes today uh, for Barnes Institute. Right. And there's a thousand offerings of those classes. And, you know, some of them are more affordable. Some of them are less affordable, but, you know, in any city, in any state, I can find this training. Right. Um, I think again, it's, it's, it's simple capitalism, right. That like, how, why would I search harder than that? Well, and even beyond capitalism, it's just cognitive wiring. Right. Right. Like where's the most friction? If mm-hmm. I open this magazine and a hundred miles from me, I can even pay in installments. Right. I know mm-hmm. I'm going to need CEs done. Like, I don't want to go, I'm not going to spend 20 minutes that I feel like I don't have to go online and find someone else who does this. So yeah, but of course they wind up in front because they have the money because they've marketed themselves. And I mean, capitalism definitely <laughs> supports the lack of friction. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think you're right, Corey, too, because I I know plenty of practitioners whose employers say, these are the things I want you to get Mm -hmm. training in, right? Mm -hmm. And so especially, I mean, and maybe some employers pay for that, some pay some, but many just say, this is what I want you to get training in. And so especially if I'm taking a class that maybe I'm interested in, but I'm doing it for work. I'm going to spend as little as I possibly can on it, both again, in all friction ways, right? Both financially and energetically. And so I, I think you're right, Corey, that like, it's a luxury to say like, no, no, you should really, you know, take the classes that feed your soul. Or learn the things that are hard. I mean, even Mm. 
just mm-hmm. straight out, wow, that class is going to be difficult, whether, you know, we're talking about all the social justice stuff that's going to make you tired or um, this new technique that's completely different from yours or whatever it is, if you're already strapped because, you know, you're a massage therapist <laughs> like, and you have the rest of your life to deal with as well, then like you're probably going to take that easy way out or that fun looking class or that one about the stuff that you already kind of know about. And that's okay because you just really need the CEs and you just want to keep your license or whatever. Then it's probably yeah. fine. It'll be fine. I'll do it later. It's fine. Yeah. I get this argument well, a lot. This, this reminds me a lot of the, the discussion. I think this was on the podcast or maybe it was on one of the extras, the, the discussion we had about like uh, sustainable living and, you know, um, letting go of Amazon and all of that. Um, burning Amazon to the ground and yes! not, not the Amazon. They're already doing that. They're already taking care of. Um, but, but I mean, I think it was Cal, Cal said, you know, it, yeah, it is. It does take a little bit of work, but it's so what, you know, it, the trade-off is um, you get to have a planet for another 50 years. You know? <laughs> and, and I feel like, you know, for the, to the untrained eye, it may seem that we've gotten away from resourcing, but I mm. feel like this is, this is one of those places where we don't notice how much of our energy is sapped by knowing that we're doing the easy thing instead mm-hmm. of the right thing. Yes. And, and that there is a, there is a, a, like, I remember since we're talking about Amazon, I remember like the first six months and it's ridiculous. It's like, I was on some sort of habit forming drug, which I guess really I was, if you look at the neurology of how Amazon works, but for the first six months, it was real hard. Like I would go to one click and be like, oh gosh, I'm going to have to, what, go to another website or like go to a store? Like it's going to be okay. But I, I sort of resented it like for a couple months, but now there is a lightness to not even like Amazon. It's not a place where I could buy things. This is not even on my radar. And I know that that is a thing that I am doing to bring, you know, Corey was talking about how you're never really in balance. We're not in balance on our planet. I don't think anybody would argue that we are, but I do feel like it's putting a little more weight on the other side and being like, okay, this is my contribution to whatever problems stem from supporting this. And I feel like it's the same when we're looking at the products that we use in our practices or the places we get our CEs that if you have to spend five more dollars, or if you have to spend 20 more minutes to find a provider who is not able to afford a glossy ad in the magazine, at the end of the day, you're like, yeah, that was really worth it. And if I were one of those providers who couldn't afford a glossy ad in a magazine, I would hope that someone would take that 20 minutes for me. So I do think it's sort of next level thinking in terms of where we get our resources from. Right. I think it also takes resources to figure out where your next level is though. So the first time you do something, right, it's really difficult. So the first time you don't click that Amazon button, you're like, oh God, okay. What else is out in the world? The world is so big. I don't know what to do. I'm going to have to go to the grocery store and it's huge. And there's people there. I'm wearing a shirt that says I belong inside right now, by the way. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so like just, I, I like it takes, it takes glucose to make the decision that you're not going to buy the thing from Amazon. And then yes. it takes glucose for you to decide where you are going to buy the thing because like you really do need laundry detergent and then it just like it takes glucose for you to be like okay well I can get this laundry detergent at this place but I don't go outside so I'm going to order my groceries which personally is something I do because grocery stores give me hives um fair 
but then you have to go find that thing. Um, and after you do it once, right, you're like, I did it and it wasn't so bad and it's okay. And now I have all these pathways in my brain that tell me where to go next. And I have um, all of these different resources that I have now looked up because I took some glucose and time to do them. And I've got all that. And I have a little toolbox now, but man, making toolboxes takes a lot. Like it takes yeah. a lot. It takes a lot of like, I'm going to sit down in front of my computer or the phone book or the whatever and find the thing. And then I'm going to like plot it out. And I'm hopefully going to take notes because believe me, if you don't take notes, you're not going to remember next time you have to do it all over again. And maybe you're the type of person that doesn't take notes and you have to do it every time because that's just how your brain works. So write it down, I'm telling you now, but like, it's still, it's still a resource problem at the end of the day. Like how much do you have time and glucose? Where are you going to put it? You get X amount. Go, do, be, make a choice. And look, look at Corey pretending to be old enough to remember phone books. <laughs> that was fun. That was fun. <laughs> no, I think, I think you're totally right. And I think that this is another, um, another big question, maybe for a whole other episode um, it, where I, you know, jump into, up and down and with my pitchfork about CEs um, for massage therapists, but, you know, when when COVID was raging, um, not like it's not now, um, <laughs> we we all all these states and jurisdictions were willing to waive the in person sort of technique classes for massage therapists, and we got to do all this really cool stuff online, and now that's gone. Right. And we're getting, we at Heal Well are getting calls. I'm sure Rebecca and Corey can tell you, uh, getting people reaching out and saying like, so when's your live classes? Like I need the live classes again for my CE mm -hmm. requirements. And, mm -hmm. and again, I think this is another way that we make good stuff inaccessible to people, uh, you know, I, because it does cost a lot of money to fly across the country and stay for two, three, a week, you know, mm -hmm. however many days the class lasts um, and take that time off of work. And I do think that on-demand online learning was revolutionary for massage therapy. I mean, yeah. because we're 50 years behind everything. Um, <laughs> but, but I think I'm really saddened by the fact that I feel like that's a thing that is, it feels like there's a push for that to go away and to go back to Technique, hands-on, in-person mm -hmm. classes is how you get CEs that make it so that you can keep your license or your job or whatever. And I, I really, I think that that sucks. Yeah, well, it, and it's not just the, the you know, the on-demand going away. It's like the kinds of things that people are willing to explore. Yeah. Because um, I feel like, especially early in the pandemic, there was this whole sort of more willingness to explore the kinds of things that we are known for like talking about what does it mean to be human um what does it mean to have a body that's breakable and will die um you know what does it mean to face that and um so we had like the book club and we had year to live which is still going as well our second second round right and that is going now um but i, I feel like as things started to open up and and we started to forget how um how like in danger we felt yeah um and how close like our breakability was to us our breakability is still that close it's just that now that we can just distract ourselves with shiny things and um so it's, it's not just you know people needing in-person hands-on and wanting to get more of learn more about 
put tools in the toolbox so that they can be a better mechanic. It's it's like this unwillingness to to sit in that discomfort. Yeah. Well, and I, I think the way that our CE requirements are set up, at least in the states where I am or have been licensed, sets up this sense that you are not resourced because the, I think it's it's flip-flopped that the majority of your hours have to be hands-on. And then you have like a couple hours here that, you know, are the quote soft skills. And it, it makes people chase techniques, I feel like, when what we really need to be doing to continue to practice and be valuable, of course, in my opinion, is not more techniques, but more self-awareness, more communication strategies, more understanding that decision-making takes glucose. And how does that figure into when I give my clients instructions, they're going to have to go home and make a decision between whatever they used to do and this thing that I suggested, if they even remember it. And, you know, what does it mean to interact with another human isn't really stuff that we get in foundational training. And if you are out there doing massage to keep your license, I really don't know that you need more technique. I mean, if CE requirements are really about safety and making sure that you're providing an effective and safe massage, I honestly think we should have a lot more of things that could be taken online and not, I'm not arguing expressly for online education, but things that don't involve your hands, um, unless they're covering your mouth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I we're turning the pages I, of a research journal. I don't often have many positive things to say about my state, but I will say that Michigan's continuing education requirements for massage therapists are extremely broad. That's so it's 18 credits every three years and there's 14 and I literally mean 14 different ways to go about it. And only one of them involves classes. That's you awesome. can write textbook stuff. You can, you, you yeah. can do all kinds. You can serve on boards. You can do many, many, many things. Um, and those on those CE requirements that are a class do, don't require you to be in person, period, dot. We can't even get that for board certification, which is supposedly right. our highest voluntary credential. <laughs> I like, I know how to rub people. That's not, I'm, right. I'm, 15. I'm pretty good at that. I'm real yeah. good at anatomy. I got that down. I could also, by the way, learn that online, um, right. but it's better with right. the body. It's true. It's just better. Uh, but like, I, I don't, <laughs> what, what are you going to teach me at this point? Unless I'm learning <laughs> something completely different. Like we're talking cupping, then I suppose maybe, but not a huge fan. Uh, so something with a tool, I guess I could learn in a class. What what are you gonna what are you gonna teach me in class? Like all I'm gonna do is be tired. Like yeah. I'm gonna have yeah. 16 hours with people that I don't particularly enjoy, making comments that drive me absolutely bonkers. So really, <laughs> it's just me keeping my mouth shut for 16 hours, right? I, and I, pretending I, to be okay with everything that's going on because I want to fight yes. the rest of the class. And having people mm -hmm. that I don't know touch me and like yeah, I should at least say it now for this podcast, which is that I haven't had a massage in three years because I can't handle people touching me. Like it drives me absolutely batty. It is not relaxing. It is not helpful. I pick up all of their crap and then I pick up my crap and then I'm tired. So I just don't do it anymore. Um, mm -hmm. And I actually feel better for it, oddly enough, but I still absolutely advocate massage for pretty much everybody else. But I don't want to go to a class for 16 hours with people I don't trust touching me. Like, come on. No. How is that? Helpful? And then, and then <laughs> how much did I pay for that? Like $550. Right. For two I, yeah. days to spend it's in a hotel of, that I, maybe I drove, but maybe I flew. Like, what, what yeah. is the point? It's yeah. coming at trauma-informed care from another angle. 
going to traumatize you and then we're going to tell you about what exactly happened exactly right. on Monday. It's so called it's experiential Monday. learning. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Dig in, Rivera. I'll, I'll be honest with you, Corey. I obviously, you and I are right on the same right. page here. Um, uh, and it's one of the many reasons that I am stepping back from doing more, more massage is that the CE requirements of keeping my license up to date were just onerous and useless, honestly. And I, you know, I've been doing massage for 17 years. Like, like you said, like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to hit people with bamboo sticks or put nope. tea bags on them or like cup them. Like that's not what I want to do. And, <laughs> and so for 17 years, I've been taking any other technique I could come up with. Um, and I, then going to class and being like, Oh, this is that other technique that I learned. It just has a different name. Exactly. Sweet. Exactly. Right. Cool. Checking out. Yeah. I'm going to count the wows in class. Wow. <laughs> what do we do now, boss? Well, um, I think we ask our listeners to talk back at us yes. about what you've been hearing today and last week and um, what you would like to hear in the future. I mean, we have ideas about what we want to talk about, but we want to hear what you want to hear about or hear us talk about. Um, and yeah, we're open to your comments, your criticisms, your dirty remarks, your definitely definitely pictures of your animals please mm, absolutely bring it we will talk about pictures of your animals um and just go out in the world and try to keep yourself resourced yeah i'm gonna shamelessly plug that i do think a way to stay resourced for all healthcare providers and all humans is to find some community of like-minded people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like you might find at the Heal Well online community. Uh, <laughs> yes. So healwell.org slash community. Uh, I think that you should check it out. It's pretty, pretty great stuff. Yeah. And of course, laughing really hard and having humor in your life, which might be a thing you could find by becoming an interdisciplinary Patreon. One dollar yeah. a month. One dollar yeah. a month, people. I mean... Right? You get some good stuff. It's patreon.com slash interdisciplinary. We just put up our conversation about the amazing documentary Grizzly Man. Yeah. Um, you don't want to you hear, buy glucose for a dollar, people. I'm telling no. you, if you want to hear at least three Heal Well staff members impersonate Werner Herzog, you're not going to hear that <laughs> yes. anywhere else. Nowhere yeah. else. <laughs> good impressions, too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, um, I want to throw in one more thought about resourcing. And I think this will be like a whole nother episode because it is complex. But um, as you're figuring out how to do this for yourself, no is key. Mm -hmm. Explore no and ways to use it in an empowering way. But mm -hmm. I do think that maybe inviting some more no into your life could be important. I love that. So on that note, huh, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. thank you everyone. Check out the Patreon, check out the community. We're continuing the conversation there and we will talk at you next week. Interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. New episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet. Uh, and you can send us an email at podcast 
at healwell.org. That's podcast at healwell.org. Thanks for listening.